The client walked off set, the sumo talent wrapped out, and we were almost completely loaded out when all of a sudden we heard yelling. Today on the podcast, I have Max Landman, a director who's worked with clients like Chevy, ClassPass, and Microsoft. And Max's story today is centered around a commercial he directed for a massive corporate client. It's a story that involves five sumo wrestlers, a tiny apartment in Venice, California, and an L.A. slumlord. So with that, I'll let Max take it from here. Hi, my name is Max, and this is my worst day ever. All right, so just to tee this up, I'm going to take you back to February 2012. I'm 23 years old at this point, and I, I had done a commercial a couple years prior to that that went viral, which led to the creation of my agency and production company, Leao. And I had just booked the biggest commercial campaign of my career. It was for a major tech company who will go unnamed so I don't get sued. And for the campaign, we were actually doing three 30-second commercials and one short film. I think we were shooting this all in a total of like four days. And this was back when, you know, I had that youthful energy. So we were ready to grind. But by far, the gnarliest day of all was shooting this one 30-second spot that called for a lead actor and five sumo wrestlers inside a maybe 300-square-foot apartment in Venice Beach, California. The premise of the 30 spot was that the sumo wrestlers were supposed to represent the deluge of email that you get that kind of clogs up your inbox. The idea was that this lead actor who was playing this character is kind of stuck living with the sumo wrestlers as freeloading roommates. My exec producer was my good friend Andy, who is really a composer that I just convinced to produce this because he's really, really good at producing. Like if he decided he wanted to be a line producer, he would be doing huge stuff now. And my cinematographer was the talented Mr. Christopher Ripley. He was my roommate at Yale and has since gone on to shoot many huge music videos. And the producer for this particular spot was another friend, Dan. The client had insisted on the apartment having a brick wall to feel like a New York City apartment. Fortunately, we had a friend who had an apartment in Venice that fit the bill. Um, It's just a couple blocks from the beach. Dan and I went to go ask the building manager for permission, and she lived on the first floor. And when we entered, it felt like a drug den or something. There were a bunch of sketchy people hanging around. And when we asked her for permission, she said, Do whatever you want. He rents the apartment. You can do whatever you want in that apartment. Maybe she didn't have a New York accent, but um, I digress. We basically got the location for free. We threw our buddy like a couple hundred bucks, and we're, we're on our way. The other big pre-pro hurdle was we needed five sumo wrestlers. And that that was a very specific number that the client had insisted on. So naturally, we hit up the one sumo wrestling talent agency in Los Angeles who apparently has a monopoly on all sumo wrestling talent. And of course, the the weekend that we decided to shoot or that we had to shoot, um, there was some big sumo competition in Tokyo. So most of the U.S.-based sumo wrestlers were not available. But the main, the guy who ran the talent agency uh, was able to muster four sumo wrestlers, um, but we needed five. So we put up a Craigslist ad uh, asking for a bigger fellow um, to play a sumo wrestler who's comfortable wearing very little clothing. 
and ended up casting this big white dude who was totally comfortable being nude and had some legit credits, including a nude sex scene in an MIA music video. And we were on our merry way. We were, we were ready to roll. On the shoot day, the parking was nuts as it is in Venice. And so the grip truck kind of had to be constantly moving. Um, we didn't have a good place to park it, so it was just constantly moving. Um, on load-in, actually, the grip truck pulled up onto like a cement um, slanted ramp and the truck started to lean and tip over. And like the beach denizens of Venice were like cheering for it to ch- tip over. Like, oh, like, is it going to tip? And thankfully it righted itself. Client was on set that day, but thankfully, because the apartment was so small, we kind of were able to keep Video Village outside of the apartment and box them out, which was really nice. We had a really tight crew inside there. Um, Obviously not a lot of space to work with. We'd been working with four real sumo wrestlers for most of the day, and um, they were awesome. The lead actor um, who was playing with them uh, also spoke Japanese, so she was able to connect with them. She's also just lovely. Um, And actually, we ended up leaning on her quite a bit for Japanese translations. Anyways, uh, we had a lot of fun and shot a ridiculous number of setups for one day. Um, It was like a montage meant to portray the passage of like several weeks of time through comedic vignettes. And we only needed all five sumo wrestlers for one shot. So that guy that I mentioned before was, uh, you know, in the holding holding room waiting. And um, we finally called in the big white guy we hired from Craigslist. And he was wearing a mawashi, which is basically a loincloth that all the sumo wrestlers were wearing that barely covers your nether regions. And unbeknownst to me, he had apparently tried to ingratiate himself with the other sumo wrestlers throughout the day by doing mock Japanese accents and, for whatever reason, wearing the mawashi for all day, even though he was offered a robe several times. Needless to say, the sumo wrestlers were not happy he was there. Um, But we got the shot and dismissed him. And anyways, we got it all in the can. It was like this miracle. Like, we felt like this huge weight lifted off our shoulders. We, we managed to pull it off and we were feeling good, you know, pounding, celebrating. Uh, Chris and I were just like, yes, we did it. We, we shot our first big commercial and the client walked off set, the sumo talent wrapped out and we were almost completely loaded out when all of a sudden we heard yelling. A short man had come storming out of a Range Rover that had just pulled in. He had this big, bushy handlebar mustache, and he was screaming full throat at anyone and everyone. He looked like a cartoon version of an angry man, so from this moment on and forever after, we've always referred to this guy simply as Angry Man. Dan, my producer, stepped in to talk to Angry Man. Sensing that this situation was not good, Chris Ripley and I sort of kept our distance and just continued loading out and eavesdropping. Um, We listened as the Angry Man asked Dan... What are you guys doing here? Dan told him, We asked permission from the building owner and she said we could shoot here. Angry Man responded, I own this building. I did not give you permission to film here. I own many buildings. People pay me a lot of money to film in these buildings. Dan then told him that we were shooting a student film, a short short film, a love story, which was conceivable as our crew footprint at that point was pretty small because most people had wrapped out. But then Andy, our exec producer, He went to help Dan, who at this point looked like he was going to have an aneurysm. And he went with a slightly different cover story. In his version, he made it sound like we were shooting a spec commercial, hoping it would get picked up and mistakenly mentioned that there were sumo wrestlers. And in his telling, um, 
he just completely triggered the angry man who completely lost it again. I thought you guys said this was a student film, love story, sumo wrestlers commercial. I charge 15K, you guys have to pay. If you guys don't pay 15K, you are not using this footage. At this point, Chris and I grabbed the hard drives and the cards and just straight up dipped. We could not risk losing the project. And Angry Man was not going to grasp the concept of a spec commercial. So even if he believed that story, which he didn't, he was completely confused and he was in it to win it. So he then demanded Dan give him his driver's license to go photocopy it. And when he returned, he said, I know who you are now. You're going to pay me that 15K. You cannot use that footage unless you pay me that 15K. Andy somehow convinced him that we would make it right by telling him we would meet with him at a coffee shop at a later date to sort it out. And we managed to get out of there unscathed. After rap, we Googled, and Angry Man is apparently an infamous slumlord who has screwed thousands of tenants over in shady dealings in Los Angeles. So we were not optimistic with how this was going to shake out. Andy apparently went and met up with Angry Man for coffee, and I think seeing that Andy actually showed up, uh, his demeanor slightly changed from angry to just heated. And Andy came in with a genius strategy. He completely flipped the script. He, he came in there and he said, I think I can get you that 15K. And Angry Man, you could see the twinkle in his eyes. He, he looked at him and he said, Really? And then this is where Andy got pretty smart. He flipped the script and he said, If this project hits big, ad agencies are going to be calling us and I think we could easily pay you 5K, if not the full 15K. This thing could be huge. And Andy said that he could see Angry Man instantly deflate in this moment. And then digging the knife a little bit deeper, Andy then went on and said, In the meantime, I know you own a lot of buildings and I'm a pianist looking for exposure. I would love to come play at one of your buildings for free. Angry Man went from thinking we were some big commercial guys to thinking we were just a bunch of desperate losers trying to make it in L.A., which we were and probably still are. And he left the coffee meeting as soon as he could because he was just like, I can't take this anymore. And just to put the cherry on top, you know, we got the commercial out. We, we were feeling good about ourselves. We went from being like, this is it. We did it. We did a huge campaign for a huge brand. People are going to be calling us. We're going to be able to book whatever we want. And then, like, a few months later, the tech company client killed that brand. And that, my friends, was my worst day ever. And that wraps up this episode. Thanks, Max, for coming on and sharing your worst day ever. And if you have a worst day ever story and are interested in coming on the podcast and sharing it, Head on over to worstdayever.com to learn more. And to make things easier, I've included the links in the show notes. Until next time, that's a wrap. <laughs>